0: the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code Kara. Use code Kara for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA
1: being able to stay with something, to continue to chase your dreams, you know, it's it's a fine line between obsession and determination. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I wanna be. I wanna be. You just wanna make
0: sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from the Kara Golden Show. And I am so excited to have my next guest here, who is the founder and CEO of Schiller Bikes, Jessica Schiller. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Kara. It's great to be here. Good morning.
0: So excited that you're here. So, uh, just a little bit about what we are going to be talking about today. So Jessica, as I mentioned, is the founder and CEO of Schiller Bikes. And prior to founding and creating this incredible water bike technology that she worked on as co-CEO of Ico Agency, um, they are an incredible company that is revolutionizing our cycling adventures and taking it on the water. Maybe some of you have seen it out there on the Bay in San Francisco, where uh, we both live in Marin County, but um, they uh, are over by the ballpark. So you may have seen them. And then all over the world, she's got at all kinds of different um, places where I'm sure Jessica will t- share more about this, but it's just this incredible Invention that uh she has developed that is also lots of fun and, and great exercise. So definitely check it out online as you're listening to this too. And uh the bike has also been featured in Forbes and The Amazing Race and on Jimmy Fallon, and it can also be found in leading hotels. Uh, she also just mentioned that it's going to be at Cavelo Point uh, in Sausalito. So for those of you who have ever been there to that incredible resort, it will be there soon. And her mission is to utilize the blue space on Earth to create the new form of recreation. And I think she's definitely done that. So welcome, welcome. Very excited to hear more here. Where did you grow up? How did this all start? <sighs>
1: So I grew up in Los Angeles, you know, typical L.A. family. Dad was a doctor. Mom was an artist. And, you know, from an early age, I think one of my earliest memories, I was five years old and I was in a garage with a childhood friend. And we were making some goop, you know, Cheerios and glue and paint and what kids do to make something. Right. And I remember saying this is going to be the best thing ever. Everyone's going to love it. It's going to be a sensation. And as I grew up, I think I became a little snarkier, a little more rebellious. And I remember my mom saying, you would be a great lawyer. And that kind of stuck in my head. I was sort of the Jewish mother trying to get me to be a lawyer. Um, cause I wasn't going to be a doctor and I kind of went down that path for many years. Um, and it took me a long time <laughs> to get back to, to get back to making something, which is something that I'm so passionate about, but I grew up in a very, you know, pretty good life. I never wanted for anything. I went to school back East. I went to law school, um, when I was younger, in my twenties, I served in a combat unit in the Israel defense forces, I had, oh my a different gosh. Life, I've had two different wow. lives, very different. <laughs> Yeah. And so here I am today.
0: That's wild. What kind of law were you practicing? I was just curious. I was
1: practicing corporate M&A and private equity in Silicon Valley. It was right after the bust in like early 2000s. Oh so my it was God. a strange time to come out of law school and be practicing, but I was grateful to have a job. I had a young family um, and I ended up really not liking it. I didn't like working at a law firm. I didn't like being behind a desk. And so I started this quest for finding my truth and really what I wanted to be as I got older.
0: I love that. Well, I'm I'm married to a recovering lawyer. So, yes. it's uh uh-huh. it, it's the same kind of thing, right, that you You know, definitely, uh, it's never a waste of time, I guess, what you learn in in that world, uh, for sure. But it's, uh, it's, I think, more than anything, trying to figure out what you really want to do and is the most important thing. So, you led a couple of ad agencies after Mm -hmm. being in law, and... One of the ones that you were talking to me about was at Saatchi and Saatchi Sustainability. Do you want to share a little bit more about that adventure?
1: Sure. So at the time I was doing executive coaching and corporate training on my own. And I got a call one day from... Uh, the husband of a college friend of mine. His name was Adam Warbuck. Uh, he's still a great friend, of, like family. Um, and Adam is a very prominent environmentalist. He was the youngest president of the Sierra Club. And he started to explain to me about how he had just um, decided to engage with Walmart. This is the mid two thousands. It's you know what many people called you know sort of the cannibal of the planet, um, the world's largest retailer, the world's largest employer, and certainly in the country as well. And the goal was to somehow transform the culture of Walmart um, to orient around sustainability and help it reduce its carbon footprint, eliminate waste, um, and just be kinder and gentler to the planet. And this is when Lee Scott was the CEO of Walmart and, and Sam's Club as well.
0: backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
1: And we started to do this, um, yeah, really the world's largest grassroots initiative to educate and inspire and teach people about sustainability. And it went on for many years. It was a great project. It was so inspiring to me to go to places all across America, um, which many of us never really have the, you know, the, the time or the, or even the desire to do. But there's so many amazing, wonderful people working, you know, at Walmart stores. And so at the time, once we had the engagement and it was off and going, um, we got acquired by Publicis, the communications conglomerate. And we rolled up into Sachi and Sachi, the global advertising agency, and we formed Sachi and Saatchi sustainability. And the focus was on working with, you know, large companies and brands to to orient them and transform them towards sustainability and a better future for people and planet.
0: That's amazing. What was probably the most surprising thing that you learned along the way? Yeah. I mean, whether it was <laughs> whether it was actually around sustainability or working with large companies or what was kind of, do you recall like anything in particular that was kind of, Shocking. I mean, it,
1: it, was, it was a surreal experience, Kara. You know, it was three of us, you know, coming from San Francisco to Bentonville. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart I've, headquarters. I've been
0: there. You've yes. Seen the, I have. The, the
1: glass bubbles. It's quite an experience. Um, and it was. And it's uh, grown,
0: by the way, quite a bit. It's I'm So, sure. probably since the beginning that you've been there. I mean, their museum is incredible there. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's grown a lot, but definitely yeah. back. in the early days.
1: In the early days of mid-2000s, you know, you feel like you're walking up into a a brick middle school and Mm -hmm. we're in the C-suite of Walmart. And for me, that was a really a first experience. You know, I've worked with a lot of executives over the years, but to be in the C-suite of the world's largest company um, and to see the humility of the people who work there um, was really quite surprising to me and also inspiring, you know? Um, And I worked with, you know, really the topics executives at Walmart. And, you know, everyone was so dedicated to transforming that company for good. And they really meant it, you know, it wasn't lip service. And so, you know, that was one big surprise um, was how much they really meant by it. And it's because so many people thought that they were just greenwashing in the beginning, that this was just a you know, brand ploy, let's make Walmart look greener. But underneath it, they really were sincere about it and committed to it. And so, you know, that was one big surprise. The other one was, you know, when you go to a, you know, 100 plus Walmart, super center stores, um, distribution centers, and you really talk to people and you connect, you know, our mandate was to make sustainability, not just a corporate mandate, but something that was relevant to individuals' lives. So I spent so much time Sitting with some of the most genuine, you know, hardworking people in America, um, you know, who are working, you know, at Walmart stores, many of them making minimum wage, um, and really just having the gift of meeting really good, humble people who wanted to be a part of something bigger. They wanted to see change, not just for the for themselves, but also for the company and for their customers. So. That was so endearing to me, and I'm actually, you know, just so honored and privileged to still have a friend who I met in Colorado. She was probably in her late 50s when I met her. Her name is Jan Bennett. Um, She's such a wonderful soul, and we have remained friends ever since. And she continues to inspire me and support me in my journey. And so that was just it. Just continues to be a surprise at you know how much people actually adopted it and continued to hang on to this concept of sustainability.
0: That's amazing. I think that the biggest challenge with sustainability overall is people don't always know what it is, right? That yeah. it's it's like a word where I think that they want to be a part of it, but there's so many different elements and obviously I think I always think the challenges of somebody like Walmart too in dealing with sustainability is there's so many different measures of it. All over the world. I mean, I wish there was a checklist of 10 items or whatever, you know, for the s- sustainability. So I think it's incredible that somebody tries to do it. Um, yeah. But I think it's always, you know, a little bit challenging. So, yeah. Uh, but such interesting work. So then you decided to... Start on this journey for starting Schiller Bike. So take take me back to where did this idea come from for this amazing fun thing?
1: Yes. Well, I think there's always a good story behind wild big ideas. And I really and I love yours, you know, about water and water being boring. And Thank for you. me, you know, it was another story about water. Um, so we're we're closely related, Kara. It's how yes, to look exactly. differently at water. Um, so at the time I was running a different agency. Uh, it was called ICO that I had left Saatchi to go open up. And I was part of a, a big networking group, c- CMOs, senior executives from companies all across America. And I was doing a tour under the Bay Bridge. And this was in 2012, right before the east span of the Bay Bridge connecting Oakland to mm-hmm. the Yerba Buena, Treasure Island in the middle it was just, it was just about to open up. And I'm bobbing up and down on a boat underneath the bridge. And the tour guy was talking about how, you know, all the cost overruns and rusting bolts and the scandal and all of that, telling a good story. And he mentioned that for the first time ever, there would be a bike lane and a pedestrian path, but it would stop halfway across the bay and it would take another decade and something like a half a billion dollars to retrofit the West ban to make a contiguous bike lane. From Oakland to San Francisco. So I live in Marin. You live in Marin. You know, we both know that everyone rides across the Golden Gate Bridge into San Francisco. No sure. big deal, right? But right. I didn't, I, and I'm not a big East Bay person. Uh, it's not that, that I don't like the East Bay. I just haven't spent that much time there, or certainly not living there. And so I turned to my friend um, Carl Isaac, who was then the um, Uh, head of innovation for adobe and he lived on lake Merritt. and i said carl have you ever taken your bike ridden your bike across the bay and he said he thought for a second he said no you sit with your bike on bart or the ferry and that's not really riding and we started laughing and wouldn't it be cool if you could ride your bike down to the water's edge click into something float the bike and propel yourself across to the city or, or vice versa from san francisco to oakland and so we were, you know, having some good laughs about it. We were going to this uh, big networking event at IDEO that evening and I couldn't get this idea out of my head, Kara, you know, and I tried to keep talking with him about it and he went off to go do his thing. He had people to meet. Um, and I went home that night infected, obsessed with this idea of how's anybody ever done this? How would you make this work? And I couldn't shake it. And the best way to describe it, you know, having a a sort of a big idea like that was I felt it in my body. You know, I really heard my intuition. I felt it. I felt like there was something there. Um, so I spent the night researching aqua bikes and aqua cycles and bikes floating on water and. It took me a little while and I started to see this rich history, actually from the turn of the century, some really clever, you know, sort of big orbs, (laughs) floating bikes, and people in suits and women in long dresses. And so the idea of making a bike work on water wasn't new. Um, ultimately I found an inventor in Milan who made a Da Vinci S kind of kit to attach to a land bike or a mountain bike. I love so it. So I sent him an email and we started talking. And does this thing really work? Is it for real? And I believed him enough to wire, I don't know, a thousand euros to Milan. And I never really sent many wires before. <laughs> now I sent that. I've sent thousands of wires. Uh, my whole life feels like it's wires. So one day I get the kit. This was maybe a month and a half, two months later, and this is in 2013. And I was shocked at how difficult it was to put together. It was so difficult. It was like the worst customer experience. You know, you're, you're so making, I'm so anxious as a customer to get something I really want. And there's these directions and there's all these little pieces and you needed a screwdriver. And I'm not a mechanical person, Kara. I never right. have been. It's amazing I actually pulled this off because that's not my forte. Um, but, uh, I had my brother-in-law come over, help me out. We got it together. I take it down to the beach in Sausalito, um, a couple of weeks later, maybe. And the first time I got on this bike, well, first of all, it wouldn't work with any bike that I had. I had to go out and buy an Italian bike because the whole thing was machined for a European thin steel railed bike. So my Trek, my Cannondale, it wouldn't fit on anything. So I had to spend another 800 or a thousand on a bike. And the first time I got on it, um, I just wasn't centered and I flipped over the handlebars. This is like classic founder's journey into the water. There was some people watching. I was going
0: to (laughs) say into the water and where where you went in, at least it was, you know, the bay can be treacherous, actually, at at points. I mean, were you you a sailor or were, I, I mean- Like you rode bikes, I I would assume.
1: Yeah, I was never an avid cyclist. I mean, here in Marin County, there are some hardcore cyclists. Right, right. And know all the ins and outs of bikes and components and all the trails and... I'm, I wasn't that person. I was a water sports enthusiast. I mean, I love scuba diving. I enjoy surfing. I'm a, I love swimming. Um, so I love being in the water. I love being on the water. Later I found out why I love being by the water so much. It's not just the fun. It actually has a real calming effect on me, but also every human being. And it's called Blue Mind. It was coined by a marine biologist, Wallace Nichols, who talks about just 10 minutes on the water or near the water every day decreases stress, increases creativity, a sense of well-being. So water has a really profound effect on the neuroscientific workings of our brains. So that's part of the reason why I loved it. And the second time I got up, and all of a sudden, I got the hang of it, and I was cycling across water. And the feeling is so different than paddling. You know, we've all been in kayaks. We've all, you know, been on stand-up paddle boards. Um, we've all been on like paddle boats and parks and Disneyland, clunky plastic things. This felt more like riding a bicycle on water. And I noticed that there were some women and their young children on the beach in Sausalito and some guys jogging past. Everybody stopped and took out their camera. And that was like the first point of validation of there's something to this. And that's where this crazy idea came about once I kind of got the hang of it and did some more time on the water of why not make the first ride from Oakland to San Francisco as call it a a stunt to show a new form of alternative, sustainable transportation in the Bay Area. Everyone's on the bridge sitting in traffic. Everyone's miserable doing that awful commute. Why not be on the water, getting a nice workout, being outside in nature? It's quiet. It's peaceful. Put your headphones in and it's only three miles. So it's a short bike ride.
0: That's wild. And so you did. So when was the first time, once you got it in the water, then when did you actually make that trip to Oakland? Because I would imagine you'd have to have the right conditions on the water.
1: Yeah. So I did some practicing. I did some trial runs. I was completely foolish. One time I went out, I think it was summer in San Francisco, which is cold and foggy on the bay. And I made it about halfway across and some of the screws on this old Italian contraption came off and I was completely immobilized sitting in the bay and it's big swell and it starts to rain. And I have no way of moving and I don't have my phone with me. I have nobody I can call. And I waited there for probably about 30 or 40 minutes until a guy, I'll never forget it. It was Nathan's oil and lube, little like tugboat kind (laughs) of thing came by and he's looking with such a perplexed face like, who is this person on a bike in the middle of San Francisco Bay? And he was kind enough to come by and ask me if I needed a hand. And I said, yes, thank you. And he pulled the bike up and tried to take me to the Coast Guard station on Yerba Buena and they wouldn't let me get off because it's a closed base. So he ended up taking me to Fisherman's Wharf. I'm exhausted. I'm wet. I learned my lesson and then a couple months later, it was September 2013. I really planned, you know, it, was, it came from the world of marketing and media. And so I let the media know that hey, I'm going to make the first bike ride across San Francisco Bay. And it was a gorgeous day. It was like, thank you. So perfect. Blue skies, calm water. And I did it. And it was incredible. Um, and then two weeks later, I happened to be going to a networking event in New York City. And I biked from Hoboken into Manhattan. And there was so much media, more than there was in San Francisco, um, I love it. global media. And that's really where I started to believe if media likes this and they're willing to cover this, they're wanting to cover it because it really ticks off so many boxes. You know, it's healthy, it's environmentally friendly, it's human powered. It's so many things that is very, and it's very visual for journalists to cover. So that's when I reached out to the inventor and I said, hey, I'd love to be A distributor for you. And he was so irate that I had received all of this media coverage that he stopped talking to me. And so, of course, then, you know, I was younger, of course. And I said, I'm going to go out and make the world's best water bike. And that was my vision. And I was how bent on doing it. And, you know, it's nice to say that as an entrepreneur, it's another thing when you have to start writing checks, (laughs) your own checks. Um, Yes. Absolutely. and, And big check. So I found a couple of great industrial designers. I found my first mechanical engineer, and we started off on this endeavor. It was January 3rd, 2014. What does the world's coolest, best water bike look like? How does it function? What does it need to do? And so we did this whole research phase and it was really was so much fun. And it was so invigorating for me to just kind of get back to what I wanted to do when I was five years old as a kid, you know, wanting to be a maker after a lifetime, I would say a lifetime, half a lifetime, my adult life of being in services, which were great. I learned so much, I had so many wonderful experiences, but I always wanted to invent something. And so mm-hmm. for the first time I was actually fulfilling my truth and so it was amazing. And when the first prototype came out, it was like, wow, it was like giving birth to your new child. You know, yeah. it was really so. Well, powerful.
0: and it's a, I think that having a, a, I used to be in the services business as well and mm-hmm. in tech versus having a physical product. There's yeah. something about a physical product that is, you know, very fulfilling in so many ways. Scary, the more, you know, supply chain and all those (laughs) issues that are out of your control. But I think it's, you know, when I remember watching the first bottles kind of roll off of the assembly line and the excitement around that is just, um, it's hard to describe to people who have never had a physical product as as part of their brand. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? I completely I mean, agree. Just, yeah. yeah I mean, you're like, oh my was... God, it's here. It's so exciting. So. Right.
1: And especially that first time when you don't really appreciate the complexity of making something. And as you mentioned, you know, supply chain. And for us, it was engineering. It was a complex water bike that had a lot of parts, a lot of components, everything. You know, nothing in the bike world is made for salt water. So it was really a lot of pure invention of how to make a bike not feel like a uh, Cuddle boat at Disneyland, but to actually feel like you're riding a bike, and that took so long, and I failed so hard, Kara. You know, um, it really was um, humbling. Um, It brought me to my knees sometimes. Is when you put so much money. Into something. This is before any investor would ever write me a check. You know, I think I tried to get money off a PowerPoint deck with some renderings, and I'll never forget one prominent VC. You know, I went to go pitch him, and he was just like, "This is the dumbest idea ever." And <laughs> it really was well, like, And
0: also, you're developing a new category and a new right? category. So it's yeah, and so being, I always share with people who have never really thought about this in particular uh-huh. that you're not just an entrepreneur, but you know, you're also a category builder, which I think yeah. is is even more challenging because people are not where you're at, right? That's they right. haven't caught up to where you're at. So you have to bring those people without alienating those people, whether it's a team or investors or or whatever. That is. So
1: so, sorry, I
0: had to jump in and kind of interject on that. But so tell me about that a little
1: bit. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. So investors were didn't even know what I was talking about. You know, and like you said, there was no category. I was foolish for thinking, you know, I'm gonna make this, it's gonna be so amazing and cool. Everybody in the world, Kara, is gonna love this. It's so obvious to me. I mean, the way I saw it was you know, the planet is two-thirds water. There are about, you know, over a billion bikes built all for land, you know, why not connect the two? And so to me as the founder, it was so obvious that this was, you know, if most of the largest, most congested cities in the world are built on bodies of water, be it San Francisco or Hamburg or right. Paris or Tokyo, you know, so everyone's going to love this. Um, hotels are going to love it. Retailers are going to love it. But like you said, when you're pioneering the category, they have no concept of how to sell something, right? So and at that price point, and I'm competing with kayaks and stand-up paddle boards and, you know, watercraft that are a lot less expensive that are, you know, plastic molds, basically. So I had a really revolutionary product and the market was absolutely not ready. And were it not for the media, you know, I think it was 2014, late in 2014, I'm running out of money. I'm flat broke. I'm a single parent. I've got three little kids. I put everything into this company. And somehow I got connected to a journalist from Forbes and ended up doing an interview and a demo. And she wrote a fabulous article. I'm forever grateful to her and basically coined it as the world's most radically redesigned bicycle. And that was how I was able to turn the lights on on the website and start selling what was then like early prototype, never should have sold it. They're collector's items now, whoever might have one. But they were huge. They were clunky, you know, another big issue that I never accounted for was just like logistics. Like how do you ship something that weighs 110 pounds and the cost involved and all over the world. So my first customers were like the crown prince of Dubai, um, prime minister of Qatar and Lord Norman Foster, the preeminent architect, um, who designed Apple campus and a million other amazing structures, amazing designer. And he was a, a friend, a good mentor for me. And, so it just took a a long time it took so much longer than i thought as this ambitious entrepreneur who thought it was going to be you know the next hot thing instantly and it wasn't and so being able to stay with something to continue to chase your dreams you know it's, it's a fine line between you know, obsession and determination. And I was obsessed for a long time. I've learned a lot. I've been humbled as an entrepreneur through this process of, you know, making a product and just getting it into the hands of customers and managing it, all the sorts of things that you know about. And slowly but surely, you know, media, more media started to come on. You mentioned Amazing Race. We did two amazing races, one in the US and one was a Chinese version. That's
0: amazing. And then amazing. more you know,
1: more celebrities, some pro athletes, you know, Michael Phelps was on it on Shark Week. I think it was 2015 or 16. And because it's just, it is, it's a great product. I mean, everybody loves it. I've never had a customer that said, eh, this is okay. Yeah,
0: that,
1: everybody loves I love
0: it. it. Well, I'm, it, it is such a, very very cool things. So, what are uh, like what are the things that I I guess over the last you know eighteen months in particular over over COVID. I mean, what what big surprises changes do you feel like it's made for your company overall? I mean, I I feel I just had. Uh, Amanda Freeman. I don't know if you know Amanda, but she's the founder of uh, S.L.T. and also this brand called Stretched, which is mm-hmm. primarily actually on, on the East Coast. And she, uh, her podcast hasn't come out yet, but she was talking a lot about you know the industry as a as a whole. Like she had um, she had you know lots of physical buildings that people were going into to do the um, platforms that she's grown, and now she's working more and more to bring it into people's homes because it's just been so challenging. And uh. so she was, you know, talking about just how the world has really changed as it relates to exercise. And I think more and more people do want to be outside. So obviously you were already there. You, you know, it's people feel like exercising outside is, um, safer whether or not it mm-hmm. is at all times or yeah. not. I think that there's this perception, but obviously you have, you're dealing with, uh, other countries developing your product, have you been really focusing on bringing that more local or what are, what are some of the challenges overall that you feel like were uh, were pandemic, I guess, uh, you became more aware, alert of, of those issues or, um, sure. yeah.
1: or overall? I mean it was a brutal it was brutal i mean for a company that manufactures in taiwan and components in china um it hit there first before anybody here was talking about it and so all of our manufacturing Mm -hmm. shut down so the first part of 2020 was absolutely brutal we had no product Um, nobody knew what was going on people certainly weren't racing to spend five thousand dollars on an amazing bike that's worth every penny, but there was no big, yeah. you know, race for them because the world didn't know what was going to happen. And so it was really difficult. Um, and of course, just you know, balancing being a founder and CEO with being, you know, a mom of three kids and them having their own lives. It was a really difficult time for me, honestly, as a, you know, as a human and also as a you know, founder and CEO. Um a couple of things started to happen. I think it was around June of 2020 is that all of a sudden people realized that there were no movie theaters and there were no bars and restaurants and fitness centers, gyms, clubs, all shut down. And so little by little people started reaching out um, and we had such little inventory because we couldn't make any bikes in the first part sure. of 2020. So we had a little bit of inventory, um, some You know, longtime customers, some close friends, interesting people were like, hey, I'm here in Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard or in Ibiza. Uh, Do you have any bikes? And so it started to pick up slowly, very slowly, but surely. And then in September 2020, someone emails me as a customer of mine said, hey, did you see on social media that Conor McGregor, notorious MMA, the UFC champion fighter is riding on your bike? with Princess Charlene of Monaco, from Corsica to Monte Carlo. It was a 24 hour, 100 mile race. And he's posting on Instagram and this is incredible. And, and you I, had no idea. I didn't have an idea. So we've done several pro charity races in Monaco that were sponsored by Princess Charlene you know, for her charity. We raised over a million euros each time for her foundation. And we have so many pro athletes from around the world, rugby players, big wave surfers, Formula One champions. And it was that's a whole other piece of this, which is the racing on Schiller bikes is incredible. It's no different than any other bike race. It's on the water. People are athletes are competing. So I've been there a bunch of times helping to make this happen. And so this one was, wow, I didn't know about this. And that's OK. It doesn't really matter to me as long as people are using the bikes uh, for good use. And it really gave the brand a huge lift. I mean, he has like thirty-seven million followers on Instagram and he's posting every week of him on the bikes, riding wow. around Corsica. So that really changed things. And at the same time, you know, we had to close our offices here in Marin. There was no point. Um you know, as a, you know, we've always, we've been a startup for so long, it feels like forever. I think someone told me once a company makes it to eight years, it's not going to go out of business. So we're just about in eight years, but it's been a long struggle, never having enough capital, always, you know, trying to bootstrap and be scrappy, which is what you have to do sometimes. And so I, you know, really had to downsize everything. And at the same time, our manufacturer in Taiwan, who had been working with us for several years and making, you know, great product, Um, basically offered to act as our fulfillment center. So, and it was something that I always knew is we can't keep making bikes in California. It was too expensive. We shouldn't be touching bikes. We just need to be, you know, design, sales, market, and and drop
0: shipping. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so when they offered that, it really changed the equation because it meant I didn't need to have as nearly as much overhead and staff to generate the same amount of revenue. So I've got a great team that I work closely with in Taiwan and they ship all over the world from Kuwait to Korea, Denmark, Massachusetts, California. So that really shifted things and it made things easy going into 2021 when we finally were able to start generating some products. Supply chains have been terrible because just like us, every single bike company watercraft, stand-up paddleboard, kayak, they've all been pumping out so many bikes and product that as a small company, it was very hard to get production windows to actually make our bikes. So flips one side is, this is fantastic. The other side is I can't actually get product for five months and the lead times are incredible. Shipping rates, as you know, have gone through the roof
0: Yeah, over the past year. Absolutely. So
1: those crazy. are some of the the challenges, yeah.
0: What do you think you would have done differently if you would have known that the pandemic was coming? I mean, what would you were you were you, you know, hitting yourself in the head going, Ah, oh, why didn't I do that? I mean, were there any kind of moments?
1: Yeah. I mean, I surely wish that I had, you know, made you know, produced more inventory ahead of that and that would have helped to get yeah. through the year because I really felt bad. I mean, you know, we've got so many people and once people get on the bikes, they love them. You know, I want to get one for my brother. I want to get one for my father and his cottage in Muskoga. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's summertime. And I, you know, when people want something, they don't want to wait until winter to get it. So I really wish I'd taken more capital and bought a lot more inventory. Um, and, you know, ultimately, Kara, I wish as a founder, I really spent more time you know, really evaluating the the staffing that I really needed, you know, where people really pulling their weight, where they really, you know, generating the kind of revenue, you know, per staff member to, to warrant having them on. So yeah. I wish in hindsight, even before 18 months, years ago, you know, if I had been more patient as an entrepreneur, you know, if I spent more time maybe working some of the kinks out instead of really having to scramble to turn the lights on for fear of going broke. You know, there's so many, gosh, I wish I had, I wish I had. Ultimately, I'm here now. I'm grateful that the company has managed to weather a terrible storm as so many people have fallen from, um, that we're able to keep doing, you know, amazing things.
0: I love it. Well, you've created an incredible, incredible, product that is so much fun and like you said it's not just about for the individual but also brings smiles to people's faces who are watching Thank it you. on Thank the you. water yeah. and uh definitely very excited to see what the future holds for you as well and really yeah. appreciate you doing what you're doing and and also just love hearing the journey of coming from a totally different industry uh into into this industry and letting people know that it's possible, because I think so often we're, you know, we think like we have to be in the, you know, working in the biking industry or working in, you know, a certain industry in order to do something a little bit different yeah. when actually innovation is coming from something totally and somebody totally different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, that's the thing that I also want to just call out, you know, for any entrepreneur, I happen to be transgender. So, you know, um, for any aspiring entrepreneur or founder who is LGBTQ, you know, don't let anyone, you know, give you shit, you know, and I like chase it. your dreams and, you know, keep persevering and just be true to your heart and your beliefs.
0: I love it. Well, I think that that is, and, and also just owning it, right? Yeah. And who you are. Exactly. And I think that's an awesome, awesome thing. So, well, thank you so much. Where do people find you too, Jessica? Tell tell us not only Schiller but also you.
1: Yeah. So jessicaschiller.com. I'm actually um, starting to do something that I've always wanted to do, which is to take my message of a lot of crazy experiences, Points of adversity, being an entrepreneur, being transgender, um, and sharing it with public audiences. So I'm doing more public it. speaking now, and I love what you do and your message of hope and inspiration is inspiring to me. I love watching you. Um, so jessicashiller.com. yes, Jess SF on Instagram. SchillerBikes is everywhere. SchillerBikes.com and SchillerBikes on Instagram is where you'll see amazing happy faces from all around the world, and it's just a fun tour of, of our planet that's two thirds water.
0: I love it. So great. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And if you liked this episode, definitely give it five stars and subscribe to the Kara Golden uh, podcast. And we're here every Monday and Wednesday with really, really cool founders and CEOs. And sometimes people who are not founders and CEOs that just have amazing ideas and cool messages that do inspire and help us think about things. So, uh, you are all of the above, Jessica. So <laughs> amazing, you. amazing. Thank you for for coming. And, and hopefully everybody got some good tidbits out of uh, this time together. And have a great rest of the week, everyone. Thanks again, Jessica.
1: Thank you so much, Kara. Look forward to having you out. Before we
0: sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for